You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. All eyes were on Boston and game three of the NBA Finals. And what we saw were the Celtics take a commanding lead and the Warriors suffer what could be an injury that impacts the rest of the series. How does all of it change and what does it mean? That's what we'll figure out. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And let's get straight to the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Sarah, I think not only are Warriors fans in their fields today because they watched the Celtics survive another bad third quarter and come out and just find a way to win, but also more importantly for the rest of the series than any one game, watching Steph get rolled up on, laying on the ground, everybody hearing him scream has to be one of those moments that now collectively Warriors fans will hold their breath knowing quite certainly that there doesn't feel like there be any way they can be competitive in this series without their best player yeah the good news is he'll play question of course is how effective will he be at what percentage will he be Steve Kerr talked about that on the NBA and ESPN radio Steph uh, fully expects to play. Um, Horford uh, rolled on top of him during the scrum for the loose ball. And uh, I don't really know the extent of the injury. He's not going in for an MRI or anything like that. Um, And he says he'll be ready to go. So uh, I believe him. Yeah, the question is, how effective will he be in that (laughs) process? Right. Like, I mean, I love the fact that Steve Kerr can be more even keeled about absolutely anything than I am about putting too much milk in the cereal bowl in the morning. Like it it feels like this is absolute crisis mode. And instead, Kerr just sort of has this. Yeah, you know, we'll just see how he does. But to your point, having him and then having him be as effective as he can be are two very different things. And without him being at his absolute best, considering the way the rest of the Warriors have played so far in this series, I struggle to find the path for the Warriors. Here, so everybody's going to be watching Steph, not just for whether he's on the court, but how he plays once he is. Yeah, he was he was great in the first quarter of the first game, decent the rest of it. He was good in game two. He was great in game three, and he was the reason that they had a shot. That third quarter when Steph took over the seven point possession. I mean, this this team is now hanging on because of Steph. And listen, we've talked in the past about how Steph could be the most important player on the team, even if he didn't get the MVP for the finals. And whether you heard about that particular award, everybody knows he's what makes this team go. But you can't win on your own, especially against a roster that's top to bottom, effective on both sides of the court, and who has lost mostly due to self-inflicted wounds. That's how the Celtics have gone uh, down in, in their previous series, the games where they turn the ball over, the games where they don't force the other team to try to create half-court offense. And so you look around at the rest of the Warriors and you say, okay, if the Celtics show up and they don't throw the game with turnovers, how are we planning to win it for ourselves? And that's the other core members of this team. That's Draymond, that's Clay, that's Wiggins. And as for Draymond and his part of it, he has been absolutely terrible and he would say so himself in fact he did on his own podcast shortly after the game last night tonight may have been one of the worst games of my career you know when I look back on it I think I honestly I I totally outsmarted myself I'm going into the game like all right you know I'm not going to say this I'm not going to do that I'm not going to get a referee's a chance to call a tech and blah 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 and I did the exact opposite of what I said I was going to do or what I needed to do I did the exact opposite. I actually did what most people think I should do. And that just doesn't work for me. You know, that's not who I am. I've gotten there by simply being me and trusting in who I am, trusting in what I bring to the court. And 
ultimately kind of just blocking out the noise because there's always noise. And then I didn't do that. Yeah. He uh, he didn't do much of anything, really. Uh, <laughs> on, uh, his stat line was absolutely anemic. Just brutal. Well, and, and I appreciate what he's saying, and I appreciate the sentiment of being able to admit when you've had a terrible game. There's also sort of a moment of you can only say my bad so much. And, you know, there, there is, I think, pressure on Draymond in this series. There's been pressure on Draymond partially because of the platform that he has and partially because of the fact that he never shies away from a microphone. There has been plenty of opportunity to, to look at every aspect of who he is as a player and what he does. Now, he's fouled out two of the three games in this series, right? So all of a sudden he says, well, I, I came in with a different mindset. I, that's fine. But you also have to come in and not only acknowledge where you've played poorly, you've got to fix that. It's got, to, it's got to change, and that's the hard part in all of this. I appreciate a good my bad, but you know, that, that doesn't help anything. If, if somebody's walking by you and they bump into you and you, you fall over and they say my bad, cool, I get it, but I still fell over, and that's what's happened to the Warriors. They've fallen over, so the mea culpa is nice, but it doesn't change anything about the outcome that they're dealing with right now. I mean, at least acknowledging it means that, in theory, he'll try to figure out what the mindset needs to be moving forward. I mean, Steve Kerr, to your point, seems to be settled and calm, at least in front of the microphones, uh, in talking about everything, and that includes Draymond being exceedingly disappointment, disappointing. Here's what he said last night. I mean, he's, he's one of our, our best players, obviously a championship player, and... Uh... You know, he's, uh, we rely on him for his, his energy and his, his brain. And um, so, you know, like I said, uh, he'll bounce back. He always does. And, uh, you know, tough night for, for all of us. I mean, we just, uh, we just couldn't, couldn't get it going. Um, and uh, not much else to say. 2-1. Uh, we got a day tomorrow to, to prepare for, for game four, and we'll, we'll get back at it. And the he always does is the important part because you do know that part of Kerr's attitude is we've been here before. I've seen us struggle. I've seen us come back. Um, this is a different situation, though, where his team is not the better team, Fitz. And I think a lot of people are not enjoying that analysis, and it's getting louder after last night's game. It doesn't mean they can't win the series. It just means that top to bottom, the Celtics are a really tough matchup and are a better team of players defensively, offensively, whereas the Warriors have some pretty big holes, certain guys in the offense on either side of the court that the Celtics can take advantage of. Yeah, well, this is one of those moments where I'm the first to admit that maybe I rely too much on proof of concept. You know that about me when it comes to quarterbacks, when it comes to guys that have been there before. I do like the idea of, hey, we're in the NBA Finals. I've seen what Steph and Draymond can do. I've seen what Clay can do in these, these moments, and you just want to believe that they'll do it again because once you've seen it before, it becomes easier to wrap your brain around. But you're right, Sarah, as much as I have – put so much weight and emphasis on the, the Warriors' ability to stay calm, cool, and collected and get through anything because, frankly, that's what they do and how they can do it. There is something to the Celtics that is not only are they a better team, uh, top to bottom, to your point, but also they have played the majority of this playoff run with a level of uh, – it's almost like the pressure that the rest of us think are going to constantly build up on them just isn't, isn't there, and it has served them really well. So maybe I, I – looking in the mirror, maybe I put too much into – who's been here before and not enough into right now, which team it seems more poised and better to handle it. Cause that's certainly Boston in my mind. Yeah. Uh, although again, prisoner of the moment is coming off their win last night, which was great. Uh, after the other night, 
with the turnovers, 33 Warriors points off turnovers. Uh, I think it was something like 30 deflections, 15 steals. I mean, they were all over the place. Their aggressive defense was a huge contributor to their win. And the, the Celtics, in trying to do so much and putting the ball on the floor and seeking contact, made all those mistakes. They're not infallible, and we've seen them alternate good games with bad ones throughout the playoffs. So it, it's possible that for all this talk that we're having now, we're going to question the Warriors, uh, I'm sorry, the Celtics and their ability to consistently put back-to-back games together where they don't shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah, you're a thousand percent right. The one thing we know is it's tough to beat Boston after you've beaten them once. They're 7-0 in the playoffs after a loss, so they've figured out how to bounce back continuously. We'll continue to get you some expertise on it. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Plus, the puck will drop tonight uh, between the Lightning and the Rangers. We'll keep you updated on that. But in the meantime, more developments in the Live Golf Series. It's up and running. The PGA took a major stance today. The question is, what does it mean? We'll answer that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It feels like every day we get new developments in the ongoing battle that is about to be taking place between Live Golf and the PGA. And the question is, would the PGA take a stand and what would they do today? We get more answers on that. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And the PGA has suspended 17 players that are taking part in the first Live Golf tournament, have also said that they will do the same to anyone who joins in the future. This quote, the quote is, These players have made their choice for their own financial-based reasons, but they can't demand the same PGA Tour membership benefits, considerations, opportunities, and platform as you. That expectation disrespects you, our fans, and our partners. You've made a different choice, which is to to abide by the turning regulations you agreed to when you accomplished the dream of earning a PGA Tour card, and more importantly, to compete as part of the preeminent organization in the world of professional golf. That is from... PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, who wrote that, obviously, to other golfers. That is part of his statement. And, Sarah, uh, this raises a a long, loud conversation and one that we will continue to have nuanced in layers as we get more information. But one of the most important portions of this conversation has to be the true, I guess, uh, intention for Live Golf. Like, what are they trying to do by getting these these golfers to come over and be part of their events. And it's not as simple as just making money. In fact, that may not be their motivation at all. So I think it's important to sort of break down that portion of it because it speaks to the motivations of this entire process. Yeah, and I also do want to get to some of the frustrations that golfers have with the PGA Tour and why this is boiling over in the way it has and maybe it's so adversarial right from the start as opposed to what you might imagine if this were to take place um, with a new you know, NBA-type situation or something like that. But to your point, a lot of people have been asking about how Liv plans to make money because of the massive paydays that they gave to those who came over and are sort of acting as ambassadors. Um, Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson being the top two there. And of course, Greg Norman. Well, uh, as Kevin Van Valkenburg, our great reporter who's actually out in London, um, uh, wrote on Twitter, uh, when someone questioned him about how he hadn't been talking about the money-making situation for Liv, he said, I can't emphasize this enough. Liv does not expect to recoup this money with golf or ever be profitable with golf. People need to stop thinking about this in sports terms. It's a 10-year chess move by a country that wants to use golf to clean its reputation for business investment. It's exactly what we talked about in our conversations about Brittany Griner and Russia and the Olympics and Putin. The reason 
that Putin and Russia has been so adamant in their efforts to cheat, which is why they end up competing as, you know, the Russian organization or whatever, um, the, you know, the, 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 Play, uh, the athletes that are no longer really associated with the country is because of the cachet that it allows for everything outside of sport. It's because when you've basically excommunicated yourself from all other countries because of your behaviors, human rights atrocities, etc., you are not invited to the conversations and the meetings that, that the rest of the world might be having. And so by using sport as a way to bring people into your country, as a way to engage with uh, other countries, uh, it's called sport washing. And that's what Liv is doing. And that's why this is standing out so much to people. It's not that working with China or other countries that have issues isn't problematic. It's that this particular move is so transparent in its attempts to clean up the many issues that Saudi Arabia has. And these ambassadors are essentially doing that work for them. And well, and that is a big part of why this is so difficult is that what you've got is an objective by Saudi Arabia and then you've got an objective from several of these golfers that are essentially trying to force or create change in the PGA and the way the PGA does business. And the decision is let's do that by leveraging with another organization. Now that in and of itself makes a ton of sense until you start figuring out who you're going into business with to leverage. And that's where things get really hairy for me. Like I, I think there's a, a, a true sort of mindset around what do you do if the, the what if of, everything all right if you're a golfer and you decide you want to be part of live like do you can you just walk away from that at some point how does that work when you're dealing with people that may not uh, see business the same way that you see it if you have an objection how do you deal with handling those those issues in those moments like it, it's such a different world that you're becoming part of and you're taking money that uh, at this point you understand what they're trying to do but you're just using the money and trying to turn a blind eye and say okay this is what i need to get the change that i need it doesn't always work that simply and in the process you've helped really bad people do really bad things so it that's an oversimplification but it's part of the complication of the issue it's spain and fitz harry spain jason fitz alan chipnick who wrote a book about phil that had those original comments where he called the saudis scary mother bleepers and talked about why he was involved and wanted to get leverage on the pga for the things that he'd asked for and hadn't seemed like he'd been heard on in the past all of that uh is coming into play now too because alan chipnick is out there covering this event and this morning tweeted, well, a couple of necklace security dudes just physically removed me from Phil Mickelson's press conference, saying they were acting on orders from their boss, whom they refused to name. Greg Norman, MBS, Al Capone, never a dull moment up in here. So, you know, he posts that and then posts a photo someone sent him of him arguing with one of said necklace dudes and directly behind him looking over his shoulder with a pretty evil look on his face is Greg Norman. So he says, oh, mystery solved. But then he shares a text thread with Greg Norman where he texted him. Are you aware I just got muscled out of Phil's press conference by a couple of your goons? Luckily for you, I kept my cool and de-escalated the situation. Please call me to discuss. Greg Norman writes back, did not hear. Thanks for letting me know. To which he responds, that's funny because, and sends Greg Norman the photo of Greg Norman directly over his <laughs> shoulder, watching as he's being removed by the necklace goon. This is a perfect example right here. It's not as extreme as your question of what if you want to leave the tour? What if you've got a problem with an event or a competitor or a ruling or something like that and feeling concerned about going to the higher ups if some of them are indeed, you know, members of the, of the Saudi government or whatever else. But this is on a smaller level. You can't go and cover it because they'll just be 
the ability for someone to remove you without saying who the orders came from or why. I mean, that kind of stuff automatically puts a really shady kind of vibe over all of the proceedings where you don't believe if the media can't cover it fairly, why as a golfer would you feel like things would be on the up and up in any part of it? Uh, Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, what what do your home and auto have in common? They're yours, and Progressive protects them both. Bundle today at Progressive.com. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting because the only reason that I can imagine so many people would, would want to get into business in this situation, two reasons. One, money. Some people are fueled money. by money and have absolutely, they don't give a damn where it comes from. That's that, that's personal decision for somebody. Also, when you're frustrated with the situation you're in, and Michael Collins, ESPN golf analyst, was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max this morning talking about what the PGA hasn't been doing that has so many golfers frustrated. Well, one of the golfers I talked to yesterday out here on the Corn Ferry Tour, he's had plenty of time on the PGA Tour, and he's out here on the Corn Ferry Tour as well. And he said, this isn't a new problem, that the middle-tier dudes on the PGA Tour have been feeling like the tour hasn't been listening to them, that they've been airing their concerns with the PGA tour for years and years and years. And everything that they've been talking to the tour about has been falling on deaf ears. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge part of this. And it's something that Phil alluded to Fitz's, which is, you know, I want more leverage. I want to be able to get the things out of the PGA tour. And, you know, we don't have time to play it, but Bob Herrig, Sports Illustrated golf reporter, was on Freddie Fitzsimmons last night and talked about one of the reasons top golfers are frustrated on the PGA Tours because they don't get paid unless they play well. It's not like a league where you have a minimum base salary and it gets better when you perform well. That's maybe a conversation to be had. Um, I don't know that all of the golfers on the Live Tour are getting paid regardless, but that's how you have to operate when you have a brand new tour. When you have the credentials and the clack and the clack, uh, 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 the the quality Cache. of the PJ you think cachet that's what I'm looking for thank you then you don't have to do that right because you earn it by virtue of sponsorships and everything else by being a part of it so it's not an apples to apples situation yeah this is going to be a difficult conversation uh, that we're going to keep having because new details will continue to emerge and as we get them we'll continue to remind everybody of why this is incredibly important in the meantime we'll get back to the NBA are people too confident now when it comes to the Celtics. We'll ask our very own Tim Bontemps when he joins us next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's get back into Game 3 last night. Boston taking a two-games-to-one lead over the Warriors in the NBA Finals. Our guy, Timmy Goodtimes, Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA reporter, joining us now. Tim, you know, I've been hearing an echo chamber now. Everybody's saying the Celtics are just a better team. Now it's about whether they screw things up and the Warriors can take advantage. I always get worried when everyone's saying the same thing, especially after there were so many disparate thoughts about the series leading up to that game. Do you see that now, that it's just this tiny margin of victory for the Warriors based on Celtics turnovers or otherwise not executing? Yeah, I would say that's the case, Sarah, and it's really the case because that's been the case for the Celtics the entire playoffs, right? This team, when they play well, when they play disciplined, when they're locked in and don't give the other team easy points, they basically win every game. And that's because when their defense is set in the half court, I think it's the best defense I've seen in my time around the league. And that, and you just go through each of these rounds, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. When the Celtics have 15 or fewer turnovers – after last, last night's game, they're now 14-2. and two. 
when they have 50, when they have 16 or more, they're 0 and 5. So there's a lot of things we could talk about, and it's certainly been an interesting series. And I think it will continue to be. But if the Celtics take care of the ball and are disciplined, I think they're going to win the series. That's only, uh, and I hear everything you're saying. I just feel like after game two, there was this huge conversation about, well, the Warriors have really been better all but one quarter. So, like, when when you look at the, the entirety of the body of work, how is it that the Warriors have been able to be so competitive if they're simply not the, the better, at least a capable team here? Well, I, I actually fundamentally rejected that argument, frankly, since those first couple games. I thought the first two the first, the first half of both games is basically a draw, and then Golden State had two big third quarters, and Boston had the fourth quarter in, in game one, and that was why it was 1-1. And look, certainly the Warriors are capable of winning this series. You know, assuming Steph Curry's foot is okay after that ball at the end of that game last night, he is explosive enough, and he is good enough that he can get them a win. And look, the other reason is the Celtics have proven to be a very inconsistent team. It's not just from turnovers, right? They miss a bunch of threes. They don't always lock in the way they need to just in going through their game plan. And, you know, there's a reason why through these playoffs, you know, they played the Bucks without Chris Middleton. They played a beat-up Miami Heat team, and both those series went seven games. Yes, Giannis was great. Yes, Jimmy Butler was great. But also, it was the Celtics getting in their own way. And so that's really where I think this comes down to. You look at game two, the Celtics shoot the ball over the gym. They let the Warriors get a bunch of fast-break points. You can look at the first half of last night's game. The Celtics had eight turnovers in the first half and 12 turnovers in the game. 12 turnovers is good. The Warriors had 19 points off those 12 turnovers. They're basically getting a point and a half every game off every turnover the Celtics have. So there's a lot, like, Robert Williams has been great. Steph's been great. Raymond has been terrible. There's all these different things to talk about. So really, to me, it just comes down to turnovers. If Boston takes care of the ball and gets set in that half-court defense, I think it's just going to be very, very hard for Golden State to beat them two, three more times in this series. It's Tim Bontemps with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Coming into the playoffs, just the playoffs in general, I remember Steve Kerr talking about a lack of expectation because there was this core group of players that had been through a lot together, but there was a whole bunch of guys on this team that had zero experience. And that is absolutely playing out. Jordan Poole looks lost. I don't think he feels comfortable bringing in someone like Kaminga. And that means that there's all the more pressure on the core group of guys, and they are not showing up. Clay had a game last night. Finally, watching game six, Clay highlights must have helped. Draymond all but absent, and that leaves it to Curry. And that puts them in a weird position where somehow Curry is the best player out there, but his team is not the better team. Is the only way for the Warriors to get back into this either for the youngsters to learn fast or for that core to do a whole lot more than they're doing outside of Steph? Well, look, I think to your point, Terry, you make a great point about Jonathan Kaminga. I don't think Steve Kerr is going to be playing him. Jordan Poole, I did not think coming into the series, is going to play well. He has been terrible. The physicality in this series has completely taken him out of it. And frankly, I don't see that changing. It's a bad matchup for him against the Celtics. So, yes, I think to your point, if the Warriors need more from Clay Thompson, who was good last night, but they need him to be great. And they need more from Andrew Wiggins, who at one point, Andre Godala sprinted off the bench, ran over and screamed at him to come over and talk to him. But he put, read him the riot act like he was in his fourth grade class and like didn't turn in his homework. I thought it was kind of fascinating that happened in the second quarter of the game. But the real thing to me is Draymond Green has been awful. And I know there was all this talk after game two that all oh, Draymond Green was the reason that that series was 1-1. Like, I just couldn't have disagreed with that more. He has really been either a non-factor or, frankly, a huge positive factor for the Boston Celtics through these first three games. And you go back to last night's game. Celtics are dominating on the offensive glass. They're dominating on the, on the boards in general. They're dominating all the hustle plays. 
If Draymond Green is a producing hustle plays, and the Warriors are losing those hustle plays and losing rebounding and losing on the defensive end of the court, then Draymond can't be on the court because he's certainly not giving them offensive production. And that's what they have him out there to do, is to be the guy that's their emotional leader, that's revving up their defense, that's making plays at the defensive end of the court, that's getting loose balls, that's wreaking havoc. He's not doing that. It's simply not good enough. And so if I'm, if I'm the Warriors, that's the number one fix I have for game four. Because i got to get Draymond back to being Draymond again, and I have to get Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins making more baskets. Because for as great as Steph has been, he's been by far, to your point, Sarah, the best player in this series. He isn't going to be good enough to beat the Celtics defense by himself. They need these other guys to help. And Jordan Poole, I don't think, is going to be an option. So those other three guys, Andrew Wiggins, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, they're going to be the ones, I think, that determine whether Golden State can make this a series or not. What specifically does Draymond need to do in your mind to turn it around then? Well, he's got to produce more hustle plays. He's got to be better on the defensive end. He's got to be more focused. And on offense, he has to find ways fits to be effective. You know, part of what happened last night was the goals, the, the, the Celtics basically said, we don't care if Jeremiah Green's on the court. We're not going to guard and that's something that we've seen teams earlier in the playoffs have success with. And Draymond's got to find a way to take advantage of that. And so far in this series, he has not. The other thing is, too, he's just got to guard back. Like, Jalen Brown had a great game last night. A lot of it was on Draymond Green. You know, in game one, they tried to play him on Al Horford, and he sort of played center field and ran around and left guys open for threes, and they hit a bunch of threes. So, you know, to me, like, he's just got to be more disciplined and locked in at both ends. Because your point, Sarah, really hit the nail on the head. This is about the Warriors' veteran players, and Wiggins is part of that, even though he hasn't been in this position before. This is about those four guys stepping up and playing better. This team's going to win three more games. Those guys simply have to do better for them to win. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Tim Bontemps. Hey, before we let you go, I know we've been analyzing a lot of the lineups that the Warriors try to bring in. And the thing on the other side is that the Celtics don't have to sacrifice offense in order to get defense. They have it up and down the lineup, whereas it feels like the Warriors, when they go small, are just so outsized. Most of the guys on the court for the Celtics are bigger than their big man if it's Draymond. Is there a lineup you've seen the Warriors use that you think is the best way to counteract the physical uh, advantage that the Celtics have? Like, is it Looney? Why aren't they playing Looney more? Well, I listen, there, so let's start there. I think Kevon Looney should play more and Draymond should play less. That's my first opinion. Now, I don't think that Steve Kerr is going to do that for many reasons, but that would be the first adjustment I would make. But your point, Sarah, about the, uh, the, the combinations that are difficult for the Warriors to put together, the main reason why I picked Boston to win the series before it started, where if you look at the top seven, eight guys for the Celtics, they're all solid at both ends of the court. And as you said, whatever combination of five guys – Boston puts out there. Like, yes, there's some strengths and weaknesses to it, but they don't have any glaring things at either end, right? The Golden State Warriors are a team with very high highs and very low lows at both ends of the court. Like Draymond Green, for example, one of the elite defensive players in the league is a below average offensive player. Jordan Poole, become a really good offensive player, is a terrible defensive player. So if you're trying to mix and match and make lineups work when you have real holes like that in your game at both ends, it's incredibly difficult. And I think that's been the real challenge that we've seen Steve Kerr trying to navigate through these first two games. He's trying all kinds of different combinations, all kinds of different lineups, trying to figure out the best way to make this work. And ultimately, it's just really hard for them because they have to try to counterbalance all these different varying strengths and weaknesses to make this work against a Celtics team that is bigger, stronger, and faster than them. So they've got to execute better. They've got to execute sharper. They've got to play a lot harder. 
And, again, just to come back to it, these elite guys for the Warriors have to be better because they're not going to win if they're just pretty good. They have to be a lot better than the Celtics to win this game tomorrow night. No big whoop then. Just do what Tim says and the Warriors will be fine. Just execute Let's on every go. single level and hope that they screw up. Uh, Tim, excellent insight. So appreciate the time. Thank you, Tim. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Always awesome stuff from Timmy Goodtimes, as Nick Friedel calls him. Do you know that's what Bon Toms means? No, no I was going to ask how you get Good Times as your nickname because yeah. I like, bon you know, Fitzy is Fun Times. Maybe I, like, is I, Times. Les et les bon temps roulés. You recognize wow. that? Let the good times roll. NBA Finals are on ESPN Radio. Tune in for Game 4 tomorrow as the Celtics host the Warriors, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. I can't believe I just tried to get you to engage with a second language when we're still working I, on the first. I was just sitting here <laughs> literally thinking real, about the fact real. that you make yep. it French don't know you sound at all. so easy. And, like, <laughs> I, I'm still working on the whole English thing. Like, and you're just over here, you know, just just throwing out the, like, the Home Alone girl, yeah. like, lazing competence, and I'm the one Lays that's over here just trying to figure it out. That's right. Uh, well, you're not going to be able to talk in the next segment either because I'm going to talk to you about LeBron James and Vegas, baby. Ooh, Vegas. Woo. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Friday Eve. It's Thursday. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, whatever gets us closer to Friday. If we got to call Thursday, Friday Eve, I'm here for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever works. We were just talking to Tim Bontemps about game three and uh, Boston taking that important two games to one lead over the Warriors. One thing we didn't talk about, and there's all these side stories. Obviously, you know, does it make sense that Draymond's doing a podcast immediately after? Um, maybe not. Uh, Steph's foot, which uh, according to reports, he will go for play. We don't know the extent of the injury, though. The other thing that I wanted to quickly touch on, though, was something that I noticed. And Clay Thompson was actually pretty measured in talking about the Boston fans, but you saw Draymond's wife put out an impassioned Instagram note, you know, complaining about the F-bombs and the disgusting comments made. And I have noticed, well, let's hear Clay really quickly because he does get a little fired up at the end. It was not a factor. We played in front of rude people before, dropping F-bombs with children in the crowd. Real classy. Good job, Boston. Okay, so he's a little salty at the end. I mean, real classy, literally every stadium in every city on earth because everybody does that. I guess my frustration is like, we're always talking about this when a team loses. No one's ever won and then been like really fired up about the fans, right? Because there's a vindication in doing it in front of fans that absolutely despise you. But when you lose and fans are rude and awful and terrible, as many tend to be, it just feels like salt in the wound and then it tends to come up more often. Yeah, and also, like, just any of the conversation around sports fans in, in Boston, I don't think is new. Like, that's there, there's certain <laughs> fan bases that just take no. pride in this. And, like, <laughs> I, I, I get parts of it, like, only I, I say I only get it because I remember, you know, my first beer, too. So, like, when I was in my early 20s, I, I certainly remember being that guy in stadiums and arenas. And if you'd asked me to wash my mouth, I would have said, well, maybe you should have brought your kid. Now I'm, Ooh, you know, older, wiser bitch. and just overall, like not a not an ass. So like there's a spot where you what just turn around. Jerk. and Like I'm the guy that now apologizes if I say yeah. something I feel like I shouldn't have said. 100%. I'm like, ah, there's a earmuffs here, earmuffs so. is like always yeah. the go to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, speaking of uh, basketball, we, we've you know focused a lot on the finals, but LeBron James always finds a way to get into the conversation. Midway through the game the other night, he was like, I'm about to go on a podcast, dot, dot, dot. Maybe mine. Oh, everybody freak out and write a story about LeBron James getting a podcast, right? Like he's always going to get in the convo. Well, this time 
He says he wants to own an NBA team and in Vegas, recently valued at over a billion dollars by Forbes. He uh, talked on his latest uh, episode of The Shop that's going to air tomorrow and said, I want a team in Vegas. I want the team in Vegas and said that his goal is to own a franchise. It will be sooner rather than later. First of all, I don't care who it is. Well, okay, maybe not Grayson Allen. Other than that, I don't care who it is. Anybody who wants in on owning a team who is a player, I'm usually here for it because I think there needs to be a better connection between the people sitting up in the top offices and ownership and the people who are playing the game. I think it'd be fantastic if LeBron got in on ownership. Yeah, oh, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think it, it would be great for the players to feel like they have somebody that maybe gets them more. It would also be interesting for uh, the league to have an owner with that much platform. I think that the, there's no losing it. And frankly, even in Vegas, the star power that comes with having LeBron be a team owner, like that is, that's the sort of thing that people would flock to just to talk about it and see it. The funny thing is, at a billion dollars, like as net worth, which is something I can't even fathom. I'm not Sarah Spain's husband. Uh, with with that net worth, <laughs> that would put him near the low end for the NBA of net worth of an owner. Yeah. So he would have to have partners uh, to to probably be able to pull this off. But it would definitely not put him in the upper echelon for spending power. So that is an interesting. Yeah, it wouldn't be like you're spending at a different that's level. For sure. Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't be alone. And I will say, I would love to see the Mark Cuban, LeBron James sidelines hijinks. Oh, uh, God, I yes. feel like I feel like that would be fun to watch. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that because I know Fitz is super pumped and Vegas is acquiring all the teams. So it's making it a lot easier for you to become more streamlined. You won't have to do, you know, uh, any more bachelorettes and bachelors to try to pick a team and ultimately end up with like the worst team in all of baseball. You know? I mean, they're, they're going to end up in Vegas. I still put my, my money. I'm, okay. I'm still going to be happy with that decision. It's going to be the, the, you know, the Vegas A's. Okay, well, I'm not happy about the news that we got today about Minnesota Lynx center Sylvia Fowles, former Chicago Sky player, a tremendous player in the league who's been uh, an MVP multiple times, and she's 36 years old. She announced that this would be her final season. Sylvia Fowles, uh, seven seasons in Minnesota, became a free agent after last season and re-signed with the Lynx the very first day of free agency and said, all right, this is my award tour. This is my victory tour. Unfortunately, during their loss to the Liberty on Tuesday, she suffered an injury. MRI reveals cartilage injury in her right knee. Unclear how long she'll be out, but she is currently considered indefinitely sidelined. And that's really sad because Fifth has been so fun to watch her travel with the team, accept gifts, you know, hear it from the crowd. It's not been a good season for the Lynx. They're three and nine right now, but that was like the, the bright spot. And it's just a real bummer. And I hope she can make it back before the season ends. Especially because she's been playing well through 12 games, 16 and a half points, 10.3 boards. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though the Lynx haven't been good, she has, right? And so the, these moments are supposed to be glory-filled for athletes that, that deserve it so much as she does. So, you know, we don't know yet. Maybe she'll reconsider whether or not this is the, the swan song. But uh, either way, I hope she gets back as soon as possible to enjoy this moment. Agreed. Uh, speaking of the WNBA, uh, we want to ask – fans and and there's a reason for this if they've got a, a a prank that went wrong 
at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. Have you ever had a school prank, a prank with your friends, a prank on a trip that went terribly wrong? Because a couple of WNBA stars had this back and forth war of pranking. Kelsey Plum and Derek Hamby from your Las Vegas Aces have been having a bit of a prank war. Uh, one was Kelsey Plum was looking after uh, Hamby's uh, child and showed up where Hamby was having brunch and they just pelted her with water balloons so that Hamby gets her back by um, like painting her car. I, I'm not sure exactly what I think it was like, you know, um, what are those things called in the can? Um Silly string? Silly string, thank you. I think it was... You Leave know, it to me to know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was silly string and, and something that was cleanable, but it was, you know, some sort of paint and silly string. And uh, the police showed up at their practice to arrest Kelsey, to arrest Derek Hamby for vandalizing the car. Uh, unreal. Unreal to think of that, like, that <laughs> moment for everybody realizing that, okay, now we are officially in trouble. The actual cops are here. So what do we do with yeah. that? Like that, yeah. I can't imagine. Safe to say that Plum declined charges because Hamby was tweeting and posting about it and actually sent out a photo with their faces covered of the police at practice <laughs> trying to arrest her for vandalizing <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, her plan was for Kelsey to walk outside and be like, hey, what happened to my car? She even left her 20 bucks under the windshield to uh, get it cleaned, which I don't <laughs> think uh, the average criminal is going to leave you money to clean your car after vandalizing it. Um, just but, makes me think of the hangover. Sorry, couldn't find a spot. Here's five bucks. You just leave yeah, it in the middle of the street. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we want to hear about your pranks gone wrong. Uh, I The ones that happen at my school during like senior prank week or whatever, which by the time I got to be a senior, we didn't have that, I think because of the many things that had gone wrong for the classes before us. Um, one involved donuts and the teacher's lounge. I won't get into any more details. You can figure out for yourself where the donuts went before they went to the teacher's lounge, mm. um, which I believe is just a full on crime. Uh, but there were plenty of others that went awry. We want to hear about yours. Pranks gone wrong. A message us. Uh, how concerning is Curry's hobbled ankle? We'll ask someone who covers the team closely. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. What a difference a day makes. I mean, if you'd asked Warriors fans about 24 hours ago how they were feeling, the answer I think would have been fairly positive. Now, with a 2-1 deficit in the finals to Boston and a hobbled Steph Curry, Feels like maybe at this point Warriors fans are puckered up a little bit, so we'll get some expertise. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance, and we will bring in Tim Kawakami. You can check him out, editor-in-chief of the Athletics Bay Area coverage. Tim, always appreciate your time and your work, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. So what should the level of concern for Warriors fans right now be? I think it's pretty high, but like you describe it as like maybe they weren't so high. Uh, you know, I think Warriors fans are a little bit nervous about this. Uh, losing game one was big. It was just, you lose a game one at home, kind of like set in like these. Are, this is a good team. The Celtics are a really good team. They win game two, maybe feel a little bit better. But yeah, you lose game three the way they did, uh, and then have Steph Curry come lipping off. Now he says he's going to play tomorrow. He's clearly not going to be 100. percent uh, yeah, there's a, there's a high amount of pucker uh, in the Bay Area, but I think most of it is because the realization that the Celtics are really good. They're, they're built for the playoffs. The Warriors like to say they are, and they clearly have proven that they're built for the playoffs, having not lost a Western Conference series since the dawn of the, the Steve Kerr era. But the Celtics realize that their personnel just 
plays well in the playoffs, those dynamic wings, Tatum and, and Brown, which are giving the Warriors a lot of problems, and spot-up shooters, smart, tough players. Uh, there is some nervousness, no question. Like, but they, you know, within the franchise, they knew it was going to be this tough. Uh, I think they were hoping they'd be up to one, not down to one. But even if they were up to one, I think they would have had a lot of, you know, they knew this was going to be a challenge. Uh, maybe everyone else is beginning to kind of realize that right now. Celtics are really good. Tim, any update on Steph beyond what we got from Steve Kerr that he'll go ahead and give it a shot in game four? Yeah, Steph talked. I actually walked past him a little bit before. I did not step on his foot or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was, you know, we were all eyeing him yesterday as he walked back and forth to the press conference. It's a pretty long walk in Boston. Uh, I thought just by showing up at that press conference yesterday, he was kind of showing to us that he's going to play. Today he said he's going to play. He looked a little bit better, you know, by fractions. He's not saying he's going to be 100%. He's just saying, I'm good enough to play. Clearly, you know, you need a high level to play against the Celtics team. Um, he's going to have to kind of limit himself. I don't think he's going to be, you know, going to be playing 44 minutes and, you know, banging in the, in the Marcus Smart all game. But, you know, 35 good minutes Steph Curry, they've won with that. Uh, we'll see if he can give him that. It's the same injury, coincidentally, that he suffered and missed basically a month. That's the last month of regular season when Marcus Smart dove into his left foot. Same exact injury. He just says he knows it now. Uh, this is not as serious. He's going to play. Again, we'll have to see how that goes. But I, I, I think it's getting better. Again, just from my walk, you know, my scientific view of walking past him one day and then <laughs> walking past him the next day, uh, I thought he looked a little bit better. He's, he's definitely a little got, got a little limp, but then another 24 hours. But I'll put it this way. It was so, like, they, they seem so little worried about it. They're not even getting an MRI. That's what they said. Right. I, I, that seems strange to me but it it does say they don't think it's very serious if he is not 100 percent, what adjustments do the warriors need to make to get enough offense to win yeah they got to say jordan Poole, you got to be good (laughs) that's the adjustment (laughs) uh that's their only other offensive initiator he was not good in game three he has when he has played some really good games in playoffs but then when he's been met with physical force uh, you know, bodies on him. He's kind of shied away, and he likes to get to the rim, and the rim is not open. That lane is not open with Robert Williams standing there and even Al Horford. It's not there. Uh, he's got to figure out a mid-range game. He's got to get a little tougher. Uh, Kerr made a point of, uh, like, hey, it's the defense that we got to about Jordan. The offense is going to come. He can't be a problem on defense, especially when he's not that good on offense. So right. uh, they, they try to win without him sometimes. They, this one, they can't win without Jordan Poole being really good. Uh, I don't know if he has it in him, but that is their number one answer. There's really no one else to have who can kind of be start in offense, get the, the Celtics defense to move. Because if the de- defense doesn't have to move, they're going to shut down the Warriors because they've kind of shown that. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Tim Kawakami, editor-in-chief of the Athletics Bay Area Coverage. Obviously, when the Celtics are their own enemy, that's when they lose. It's the turnovers. It's the forced contact. It's the forced drives when there's no space. When they put the ball on the floor, sometimes they just cause problems for themselves. What did the Warriors do in Game 2 that maybe forced some of that? And can they get back to it? Was it just the frenetic energy of that Game 2 and they have to try to increase the tempo? Or is it something that they can't induce that the Celtics just do to themselves? Yeah, I think you could add that they, and this is what makes the Warriors feel a little better about last game. They did it in the third quarter, too. So, uh, you know, Marcus Smart had like three turnovers in, in the third quarter. That's when the Warriors come roaring back. They get the seven point possession, two threes, and a flagrant. Uh, and they come back actually to lead that game, which was kind of amazing how much 
you know, they were outplayed for most of the game, and they had like an 83-82 lead. Now then they come, then Celtics come right back and hit a three and, and, and never lose lead after that. I think it's pressure on the ball. I think it's making sure that they put a body on somebody. They kind of shrunk away from that. And it was the loud home, you know, it was a loud crowd. I was sitting in the middle of it. It was really loud. And, you know, maybe the word is rattled. Maybe the word is just, you know, weren't as aggressive. Whatever that is, they were all over the Celtics physically at home in game two at Chase Center. That did not translate to game two. Now, also, the Celtics played better. They played really good. Uh, and if the Celt- I'll just say this. If the Celtics play their best and the Warriors play their best, the Celtics are a better team. It's just a matter of can you get that out. We've seen the Celtics go up and down. We saw it in the middle of the last game in that third quarter where they just kind of did some weird things with the basketball, and the Warriors took advantage of it and came right back down and hit threes. They're going to want it that the whole game. I don't know if the Celtics are going to do it. I, it does feel like the Celtics kind of control this. Uh, although they, you know, they get out of control, like, w- are they going to be able to get one more win? I think one more win tomorrow would, would essentially be the end of the series. They obviously got to play it out. Uh, but the Warriors are really good in these situations. They're really good when you say, okay, you better win this one or it's over. They, they historically, you know, over the last eight years, have won that game many, many times. Uh, I think we're going to see a very good effort, especially from Draymond Green. We haven't mentioned him. You know, he's the bellwether. He's like the, the, the guy who's like, he starts the physicality. He started in game two by getting in a jump ball with Al Horford on the very first possession. None of that happened in the last game. Might see a little bit of a frantic Draymond, which sometimes isn't good, but they'll take a frantic Draymond over a passive Draymond, which is what they got the last game. But but why? Like When you're Draymond and you've been in this situation so many times, you know what's at stake. Why was he passive? Celtics make it tough for him. I mean, there is a practical explanation other than just aggressive, not aggressive. They're long. They're fast. He, you know, They're daring him to drive, and he tries to drive, and they just swat it right back in his face. I think that changes the way he approaches on defense. He feels a little bit kind of knocked back. Uh, this happened in Oklahoma City series, OKC Series in 2016 when they went down 3-1 to Durant Westbrook, and they came charging back then. And Draymond clicked, you know, he just something clicked in him in the middle of that. They switched his assignment a little bit, and he started to figure it out. You know, he's not a vertical guy, right? He's not a guy who's going to just fly over people. People are going to block his shot. He does not have a great shot. Sometimes that kind of affects him both ways. Uh, I, I think what he's just going to say, listen, I, I, if I don't make a bucket, that's fine. What I got to do is shut down Jalen Brown. That, that's his assignment. If it didn't happen. You know, I think the first bucket of the game was Jalen Brown three in Draymond's face. If that happens, you, you might see a duplication in the last game. If Draymond, if Draymond is right on top of Jalen Brown, the ball goes up and it gets swatted back at him, then you might see a difference. It's weird to say that these are professionals. They know it's a 48-minute game. But sometimes that first, second, third possession, like writers say it's a big deal. It's a metaphor. Sometimes it's real. Like those guys feed off those first few minutes, especially the Warriors. The Warriors really, like you know how they're going to play. If Clay hits his first shot, Draymond makes a good defensive play, Steph gets open, okay, they're going to feel pretty good in this game. Again, it's weird. They're 30-something guys have won three championships. But sometimes it does really come down to that for the Warriors, who are kind of a feel-rhythm team. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be decided in one minute tomorrow, but it's going to you're going to get the feel of it, I think, from their side. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at Tim Kawakami. Of course, check him out on The Athletic. Tim, always appreciate your work. Always appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging out with us. You, you got it, guys. Anytime. Appreciate Thanks. it. Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. Your small business keeps you on the go. Progressive Commercial Insurance keeps your policy within reach. 
with our easy-to-use mobile app. Who doesn't love that? Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. It appears not even a hero can save the Angels at their losing streak is now to 14 games. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 8. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. That music teases us up for the first of a bunch of stories. We're going to cover them as quickly as we can. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's right. Nickelback for an entire Angels game. Joe Madden gets fired. They're looking for a way to put a spark in a team on a losing skid. And allegedly it was Tim Buss, who I remember fondly from when he was on Joe's staff here with the Cubs, uh, would often end up in the Cubs post-win party room in a Speedo, a cowboy hat, other weird and strange attire. He was sort of the fun guy on staff, party boy. And allegedly it was his idea to play Nickelback songs for every walk-up tune for the Angels. Sort of a slump-buster-esque attempt to turn things around. Unfortunately for all involved, they lost and they had to hear Nickelback for an entire game. It did not work. Uh, Look, I'll just say this. As of a few years ago, it's been a few years ago, uh, Nickelback was the 11th biggest selling band of all time. Sold over 50 million records. The lead singer is worth over 80 million dollars. Really like Nickelback, that's your take here. Yeah, I, I, look, I think I think people. Everybody says they hate Nickelback, but then they sell out all the arenas. Where's that coming from? I think people are closet Nickelback fans. And by the way, Nickelback can make a baseball game more interesting unless it was at Wrigley, in which case it's oh, already perfect fits. in every possible way. See what I just wow. did? Wow! Hey, baseball lovers, getting those menchies. He just said Nickelback makes baseball more interesting. By the way. Uh, Molly Knight, uh, in her Substack, wrote on this, and a tidbit that she found out, which is just great, is rookie Joe Adele walked up to a song, the second line of which is, it's like the bottom of the ninth and I'm never going to win, which is just great. Oh, uh, just great. Again, it might be slump bustery, reverse jinxy, but it didn't work out. All right, next story. Quickies. Speaking of things that didn't work out, Tony LaRussa. <laughs> Just a period there. But also today, Tony LaRussa deciding with a batter at a one and two count, Trey Turner sitting on one and two, that he would walk him to set up Max Muncy, who proceeded to break open the game with a three run homer. And as he crossed the plate after said homer, you could read Muncy's lips, and they, uh, without saying it specifically, was basically. Walking in with two strikes, F-U-B, uh, with other choice words. Yep, they were down 6-5, to five, and uh, LaRusa decided an intentional walk with the count at 1-2 and two was a great idea in order to get Max Muncy lined up for that three-run homer. You could hear a crowd, a fan in the crowd yell, He's got two strikes, Tony! Which, based on some of his decision-making lately, is probably a good idea that the fans let him know the context of the game, just in case he's not watching. 
maybe the fans were just, you know, this is how they remind him. That's a Nickelback reference. There you go. Uh, oh. As they try and figure out what's wrong. Like, Tony LaRusso used to be good at his job in theory, right? Like, you're talking about somebody that obviously knows a lot of baseball. I, I don't understand the strategy at all, and I don't understand what message you're sending to anybody involved in the process. Like, this just this feels too dumb for somebody that's good at their job to do it. And those are the moments mm. that make you scratch your head and say, why are you still uh, in the position you're in if this is the way you do your job? I don't understand it at all. Uh, nobody understood it. Here's what it sounded like live. 2-2 is driven in the air the other way. Deep to left and a home run. So they intentionally walked Turner and then Max Muncy off the lefty. It's an opposite way three-run homer. And it's 10-5. to Yeah, that's uh, Len Casper Muncie. from... Go ahead. Muncie, a total rock star, hit it far away, and now they just want to burn it to the ground. More Nickelback references. Go ahead. That's all. Uh, they say a hero <laughs> can save me, but I'm not going to stand here and wait. Please stop with the Nickelback references. <laughs> that was ESPN 1000. Len Casper on the radio call there. The TV call, you could hear uh, back and forth of, what's? can you explain this to me, partner? No, I sure can't. This is pretty rare. Can't remember the last time I saw someone walked on a one-two count. Uh, just Jason Benetti uh, trying not to insult the team uh, as the home TV broadcaster. Um, yeah, things not looking good for the White Sox, uh, sitting at 26 and 29 right now. Um, and, yeah, don't wait on a hero. Spain and Fitz, <sighs> quickies, next story. Quickies. Uh, mentioned this last night, uh, but tonight, coming soon, we've got the start of Rangers Lightning. It's all knotted up at two games apiece. Uh, I know exactly who wants this to go on to seven games, and it's the Avs who have finished off a sweep and are just sitting around watching the Rangers and Lightning beat the you-know-what out of each other. Apparently they are angry after their back-to-back losses to the Lightning, uh, and now they're back home. They've been very good at home fits, and they get more games at home than on the road for the rest of the series, so that home advantage might be able to help them. Yeah, well, somebody should have taken a photograph of the final score from Fitz, last game and just Fitz, keep showing them. I can't, I, I can't help it. I said, I'm I can't not going to sit here and wait. I, can't. <laughs> I, I was just stunned, honestly, and so was my pocketbook. To see the Rangers oh uh, throw that kind of a, a – to lay that kind of an egg at Madison Square Garden, I, I – would love to see a fired up version of this team for this game because that's what the home ice crowd deserves. So a uh, l- little bit surprised by what we saw last time. And uh, this time, my pocketbook certainly hopes that the Rangers put up a better effort. It's Spain and Fitz. We're doing quickies. Next story. <laughs> quickies. Tom Brady addressing the reports about that riff with Bruce Arians that caused new uh, coaching for the Bucks, but also the Dolphins story that somehow has not gotten very much play, despite the fact that Tom Brady almost became not only the quarterback of the Dolphins, but part owner, and if not for an unprecedented lawsuit of a coach suing the league in his own team, it probably would have happened. Jenna Lane from ESPN, uh, part of the reporting on this, Dolphins interested in giving Brady a front office slash quarterback capacity even though he's under contract with the Bucks, And Brady said, quote, I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people I've had for the last three or four years of my career about different opportunities when I'm done playing football. So I kind of made a decision of what I'd like to do, and I'll get to be in the game of football. He doesn't really deny that he was in talks to potentially do this. 
somehow just the, the the shock of him coming back and then Arian stepping down managed to take up enough headlines for us to kind of ignore how close this seems to have almost happened, Fitz. Yeah, also there's just this element of the decision to come back makes me think there will be some joy otherwise. Why are you coming back? And nothing in the way he sounds right now when he speaks has any of that. It's just he's, he's very Belichickian right now in tone and in, uh, in approach to how he's answering questions. But these are fair questions to be asked considering the rumors that have been out there, and they're not going to stop until they're specifically addressed. So even though he wants to sort of be vague and just let it go, I don't think that that's going to be an opportunity for him. I think they're going to continue to press until we can get some more answers. Well, we don't have time to play the sound, but he sounds deeply uncomfortable when asked about it. Oh, the yeah, so uh, that was a long time ago, and um, just excited to play, and that was a while ago. It's like, dude, you are not doing a good job of selling us on a couple months ago being a long time ago. Oh, man. I really think that someone, and I'm, I'm sure they are, is on the case of unraveling every little bit of that story because it sure sounds like collusion in addition to everything else that that lawsuit accuses the Dolphins and the NFL of. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Coming up, our next guest getting it done on the court and the recording booth. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, as you heard in SportsCenter right there, we'll keep you updated on the game between the Lightning and the Rangers, currently zip-zip. Greg Wyshynski said on Twitter, we're going to have to see a mauling to see a penalty. They are letting them play mm-hmm. in this one. So we will keep you updated on how that looks in a fired-up matchup. Both teams have really come out of the gates uh, putting out a lot of effort. So we'll keep you updated on the score. But in the meantime, let's have a little, bef- little bit of fun while I learn to speak. <laughs> we're going to hang out now with Flyshay Johnson, LSU basketball commit, also hip-hop artist. It's always interesting to me because you're living out two dreams. You're signed as an artist, and you're committed to LSU to play basketball. So how do you manage two different iconic, oh, my God, I can't believe I have these opportunities at once? Um, it's just like, you know, being disciplined and, Staying on my schedule, you know what I mean? Oh, man, I just have to be very, very disciplined, like, know what I have to do, and just, I just do it. Like, I don't know, everybody always asks me, how do you do it? But, like, I've come accustomed to it, you know what I mean? I've been doing it for so long, it's kind of easy now. Okay, well, something you haven't been doing for long is hanging out with Jay-Z, getting supported by Rock Nation. <laughs> I need to hear how this came about, and, like, did you do the uh, the old hold the phone away from your face and, like, scream loudly when you got the call? Yeah, it was kind of like that. Like, um, so basically, <laughs> like, uh, you know, LaMelo Ball, he signed to Rock Nation Sports, so his manager was trying to, you know, get me to play on his uh, AAU team, right? And my mom's like, nah, she's not just a, a basketball player. She's a rapper. And he was like, what? Give me some of her music. And he said, my music, he's like, oh, my God. Like, why does nobody know about her? You know, he made some calls to the people at Rock Nation. And the next thing I know, I was on the phone with the president of Rock Nation. And he was just like, you know, congratulations. And they flew us up there. We had dinner, went to the Rock Nation building. And it was, just, it was amazing. It was, like, it was like a movie. <laughs> That's amazing. So for you, like, when you try and figure out your influences, how they influence you musically, who stands out? Like, who, who do you listen to for inspiration? Um, I listen to like a lot of my dad music for inspiration. Um, let's see, I don't really. I mean, I listen to like you know just some of the greats like Tupac, Biggie, all those guys. I like Nicki Minaj, uh, 
it's like people like with real lyrics, you know what I mean? Like that's something I really love. Uh, J. Cole, somebody I listen to, super heavy. So, Flash, I always think this is interesting because I was a musician for a lot of years, but nobody in my family was ever musical. So, like, for you growing up, mm-hmm. was your dad's legacy, was that sort of something that was always around you? Yeah, it was It was always around me because, you know, he had a big uh, – he was like a legend in Savannah, Georgia, which was where I was raised. And, like, everybody would always tell me about him. And when I got of age, I started listening. And I was like, wow, like, this is insane. And then as I got older – like the pieces kind of started, you know, connecting. Like, but when I was younger, I wanted to rap, you know, just because my dad rapped. But as I got older, I actually fell in love with music itself. You know what I mean? Flyjay Johnson is with us here on Spade and Fitz. LSU basketball commit also signed a music deal with Jay Z's Rock Nation. I mean, NIL came at the right time for you. I remember hearing about <laughs> college athletes who weren't able to sell their music, who weren't able to create work and and benefit from it. How grateful are you? And how important was it you when you were picking LSU that you could do both? Yeah, it, that was the main point. And you know, we always told them like. Music and basketball, both of my careers, and they completely understood. And, you know, with LSU being such a big name and a big school, I knew the brand and the NIO would be perfect, you know, just because their brand is so big and also with mine. So, like, knowing that I could live out both my dreams and with NIL was just perfect. So it was like, it was a no-brainer for real. Is Was there any hesitation, like, as, as great a school as LSU is and a big a brand as it is, I don't necessarily think of hip hop coming out of Baton Rouge, right? Like, so from a collaborative point in music, were you sitting, like, was there any hesitation to going to a school that may be a little bit off the beaten path for where you wanted to be collaborative musically? I mean, not really, because, like, like a lot of hip hop artists came from there, like Lil Wayne, he's from New Orleans, uh, Birdman, uh, Master P, uh, you know, NBA Youngboy. So it's like, it's like music, then it's like, different but it was like for me i'm like all i need is a studio to create you know what i mean like that's all i need so um it's like my goal is to like you know play as hard as i can while i'm in school and then when i get out of school i'm hopefully going tour in the sun and stuff like that uh flyjay i've certainly seen some of your music online have you like, are you constantly being asked to freestyle? Have you been performing for, like, your teammates in high school or your school? Or where do you, like, have the opportunity to really, like, cut your teeth around other people? Um, I Just me and my friends, we freestyle all the time. You know what I mean? That's, like, my favorite place right there. When I'm in the public, I'm just, like, really sensitive about my art. You know what I mean? And uh, things like that. I'm like, I just really want people to listen to my words, listen to my music. You know what I mean? Like, I just dropped a new project, and it's out right now. It's a situation. And I've been getting great feedback from it. So, like, people listening to it is my ultimate goal. But, like, I, I like to, like, create in private. You know what I mean? It's just, like, it's more sacred like that. When do you create? Like, a typical day, because you got all the basketball stuff. Like, when do you actually sit down and just let music flow through you? Yeah, I got, well, really, I just take it to my schedule. Like, I wake up at 5 in the morning. I go to training, you know, from 6 to, what, 8. After I leave training from 6 to 8, I go to my other training from 9 to 11, you know, after that I rest. And then I got a training at 4 o'clock. Then after 4 o'clock, I go to the studio, like, from 7 to 11. So late at night is usually when I wow. get into that mode for sure. 
That's how we know how young you are. You don't need to put sleep in that schedule anywhere, and you're still doing okay. Uh, Fly Jay Johnson is with us. (laughs) LSU basketball commit and hip-hop artist who signed a distribution deal with Jay-Z's Rock Nation. Um, You worked with Together on a documentary series. Tell us about that. Did you like uh, watching yourself, or or what was that like putting that together? Oh, that was amazing. Like, out of all of the... uh shows I've done, that's probably, like, one of my favorite ones. Just because the producer, Kayla, she really just told my story the way that I wanted to be told. You know, you know, it was just, like, I was able to, like, be a part of the process. Like, do you like this? Do you like that? We can take this out. We can, you know what I mean? Like, just being in the front seat to tell my story. So, like, that was probably my favorite ever. Like, I love that docu-series. Flyjay, what's the acceptance been like for you in hip-hop in general? Like, because there, there's sometimes a stigma when athletes try and cross over to music or when actors try and cross over to music. Have you felt any resistance because of your athletic ability? Oh, uh, no, nah, it's, it's not because um, I've been doing both of these since I was real little. You know what I mean? Like, both of these are my my career. You know what I mean? So, I've, like, I've been, like, doing it for so long that they both go hand in hand. You know what I mean? It's not something that I'm trying to do. It's like I'm I'm a professional basketball player, but I want to try to rap, or I'm a professional rapper and I want to try to play basketball. It's like, no, this is something that I do, both of these at, like, a very high level. You know what I mean? So it's just been, like, uh, like everybody knows, like, that's what she does. Like, she raps and plays basketball. So it's, like, a cool thing instead of, like, a, a different that's kind of music. Flyjay, all right, before we get you out of here, who's the, like, one person that you want to collab with that, that is out there for you that's, like, the dream collaboration? Dream collab? Probably J. Cole, for sure. J. J. Cole nice. and Gary Young Boy. Oh, Don't you also great. have to legally say Jay-Z? <laughs> well, you know, you got to build up to Jay-Z. You know, that's a legend right there. You know what I mean? Okay, good save, good save, good save, good save. Good save. Uh, Flyjay, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Best of luck in both careers. It's awesome to watch people shine. They can do so much. You're an inspiration to everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. The road to the rematch is an uh, is on as bantamweight champ Juliana Pena <laughs> and former champ Amanda Nunez go head-to-head as coaches on the historic 30th season of the Ultimate Fighter stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Uh, by the way, they are still tied 0-0 between the Rangers and Tampa Bay. We'll keep you updated. But in the meantime, WNBA pranks may have ended up with a interesting outcome. Things went a little wrong. So we've asked you for some of your pranks that went incredibly wrong. I'll tell you one that involves crickets and a tour bus next. Main and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on a Friday Eve. I'm actually off. Are we making night. that a thing? Is that becoming a thing? Like a Friday? I mean, I'm Eve trying show? to make it a thing. I, I like think it's this. in it's in my head right now because I'm off for the show tomorrow. I'll be heading to my college reunion. So Ooh. I am considering re- reunion, this right? sort of my Friday. Yeah, five years. It's been a long five years since I was in All college. Right. I feel so Congratulations. old. Congratulations. Being You've in my accomplished mid, so much in mid such little 20s. Time. Yep, that's right. <laughs> How have I worked at ESPN for almost 12 years, despite maybe longer than 12 now, despite being you just started 20, in middle school? That's, 26 years old. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget, you can listen to every game of the NBA Finals on ESPN Radio tomorrow. Game four, pregame starts at 8 Eastern. You'll get a power hour of Spain and Fitz 
leading you up to that. You know, last night we were talking about, well, I was since I was solo last night, talking about um, the possibility that Texas could, could try to hang with the always dominant Oklahoma women's softball team at the College World Series. Um, Tony Kornheiser had an incredible stat that of the three teams that beat Oklahoma during the regular season in their rematches with Oklahoma, they were beaten 39 to zero cumulatively. So not a single run scored. Wow. Oklahoma wow. putting up 39 runs across those three games in the rematches. Uh, those three, those three matches. Uh, they, uh, they made it partway there in game one last night, 16 to one win for Oklahoma in the opening game of the championship finals. Uh, six home runs in that and all 16 runs unanswered after Texas took a one Oh lead that didn't last very long. So, uh, they're at it again tonight, and unfortunately, per my social media, there has been some nickelback played during this game tonight. I wonder, I worry, if they're just trying to get that slump busted again. I don't know if it'll I, work. It didn't work for the Angels. Or or it's a realization that Nickelback is one of the great American bands. And, uh, Fitz, and, uh, <laughs> are you getting paid I can't even by say them? that with a straight are face. You, are, is some, are you on Nickelback's payroll? Are you beholden to big Nickelback? <laughs> Look, I, I just I, I think that, you know, Nickelback gets a bad rap. It's sort of like Imagine Dragons. Everybody has this thing on Imagine Dragons because they were overplayed. Yeah. And it's like, well, they're or overplayed because they're really good. Coldplay gets it, but Coldplay's incredible. I actually went right. to an Imagine Dragons concert. It was pretty good. It was many years ago, but yeah, Nickelback. Uh... By the way, know. currently Texas leading 2-0 over Oklahoma. Oh. Top of the bottom of the fourth, it looks like. So, uh. Good for them. Hanging in there. Nice job. Uh, Good for you. A pat on the back for hanging in there. Uh, we, um, we also need to talk about pranks. Uh, as we mentioned earlier in the show, a little prank between Derek Hamby and uh, Kelsey Plum went wrong for the Aces as police ended up showing up at practice to inquire about Hamby vandalizing Plum's car with apparently what was probably washable paint and some silly string and whatnot. So we were asking if anybody had a prank that went wrong. And our very own board op, Ben, had an unfortunate story from high school where some of his classmates, he alleges not including him, decided to create a visual of a male member, if -hmm. you get my drift, in a giant field near the school. It was an agricultural high school, which I've never heard of, and he studied culinary there, which I also did not know exist. These are just these are just details that are unnecessary, but that's where it was. That's why there was a giant field there. And some cows ate the pesticide penis on the field and died. I would call that a prank gone wrong for sure. Do you yeah, have one I, that I- tops that? Uh, I don't think I have anything that tops uh, that because that's just like the the amount of mistakes there. But I will say that most tours uh, end with some sort of a prank. Brad Paisley uh, particularly always loves pranks, but they're also always super wholesome. Like Brad's like the the nicest guy in the world. But there are uh, a couple of. Ha ha, I told you that was whole milk, but it's two percent. 
It, like one time he was pranking us. He he like redid one of our videos and and animated everybody like little kids or something. That's it, it was like actually it, it was always like sweet and you want to just <laughs> hug him afterwards and say thanks. But uh, there was one bus on one of the tours that I was on with Brad that uh, the guys in the the for one of the other bands decided that the smart thing to do would be to go on to I think it was Brad's band's tour bus and uh, unleash boxes of crickets. And uh, oh. live crickets during their show, and then mm. just close the door and let the crickets hang out. So that's a that's a, a fairly good one because you come back and you realize that the crickets are there, and you think it's funny until you realize that you can't kind of get rid of those things. Like it's never well thought out. And uh, we did make I, I'll say this: we made Darius Rucker really mad one year because uh, we thought it'd be a funny idea to go out and saran wrap all of his band guys on the last uh, show. So, which we did, and it just meant that Darius didn't have anybody playing for him suddenly at the end of his show. So, like, it was funny until he realized yeah, that we hadn't yeah. thought it out, and <laughs> right. we, did, we committed to the bit. So, all of a sudden, yeah. very angry Darius Rucker looking around, realizing that he's on stage in front of 30,000 people, and nobody can play any instruments. Wow. So, that went a little wrong. And I don't know if the fans would find it as funny, too. Maybe for a second, and then afterwards, be like, okay, play some songs. Play yeah, Wagon yeah. Wheel. That's um, like, like nobody nobody thought that out very well, which is yeah. par for the course for a bunch of people on a tour. That's well, we I got did. a couple of pranks from folks, and it reminded me of one that I did that I still laugh at. This one made me sad. Uh, R. Johnson, 83. My husband teaches high school. As a senior prank, everyone showed up with their dogs. Except one kid didn't have a dog, so he brought his goldfish, but in a mason jar. Just canned his goldfish and thought, this is fine. Not the best or most dramatic, just makes me giggle still. <laughs> that makes me very sad. That poor goldfish literally asphyxiated, and the kid had no idea. You, you needed some breath holes, kid. Oh, Come no. on. You can't, you can't just mason jar your goldfish. Uh, DBK2387, kind of like Ben. They tried to use salt to etch their logo in a rival high school football field, but within a week it killed an entire block of the grass. Never a good uh, sign mm. to do, especially mm -hmm. to... Uh, property that is not yours or even your schools uh, at Packer fandom high school graduation 94 me and 10 friends ambushed the school grounds at 1 a.m. tattooed the sidewalks doors parking lot ground in paint with our graduation year along with a giant peace sign that turned out to be actually a giant Mercedes sign about 10 okay. foot big the next day we get in trouble for it we have to go back and clean it up someone proceeds to light the peace sign on fire and now we have a fireball 10 foot high in the morning the next day uh, yeah, that doesn't sound like you thought it through, really. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I need to hear a prank from you involving water bottles. But first, I will briefly tell mine, which is uh, that I got to the Levitard Studios down in Miami. I was filling, hosting during one of the holiday breaks. And I opened up the computer and the last person who had been there was Bamani Jones and he didn't sign out. So I'm in his email when I open Gmail. And I think to myself, what's the least harmful thing I can do that's still funny? So I send myself an email from Bomani that just says, Hey, Sarah, been listening to you filling in a lot and just wanted to let you know you're fantastic. You're by far the best person who fills in for Levitard. You really get the show. Bo. Extremely wow. harmless. Close everything. Don't look at any emails. Don't do anything else. That's all I send. And I send him back an email about a half hour later. Oh my gosh, that's so nice of you. I can't tell you how much that means to hear from you. What a great show of support, blah, blah, blah. Now, Bomani, were he to remotely think that about me, could have just been like, ah, what's the harm in her thinking that? 
But no, he made sure I knew that he did not write that or send that. And then he proceeded to spend hours with someone from IT trying to figure out if he had gotten hacked and what else they might have done. And about an hour and a half, two hours in, I told him what happened and I got no response. And he has never acknowledged the prank since. I do oh my not God, think he really? found it very funny. Oh, I think that's really funny, Sarah. Yeah, Gosh. I thought it was very harmless and quite funny. He was not amused. Yeah, uh, I will say. Oh, the okay. Of times, the fish did not die. The fish did not die. The fish, fish survived. Did not die. No fish died in the making of this story. The kid was sent home. That's the only reason it's funny and not horrific. Okay, tell your pee story. Oh, well, I, I wasn't going to, but yes. Well, you have I had 50 a, I had a friend that I toured with years ago. We were both in the band for Phil Vassar at the time, and. Uh, I played the mandolin, amongst other things, for Phil uh, also. And he did something that you shouldn't do to a man's mandolin and, uh, or to anybody's <laughs> mandolin. And I saw a picture of it afterwards. So I decided that I would dump out a little bit of his water. And uh, before the show, I tinkled in it. And uh, so midway through the show, we're out in the middle of the summer heat. He chugs the water down. And everybody oh, on stage no. knew that I'd tinkled in the water. And uh, he did it. We're still very close friends, though. So that's uh-huh. one of the weird things about guys. They, you can tinkle in a man's water, and as long as it's done with the right heart, you can still love him afterwards. That's uh, the, the right heart, he said. Now, the mandolin you don't hold against your face, right? Yeah. Mm. That's mm. good. That's probably for the <laughs> yes. best. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, <laughs> it will be a home run. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.